morning and happy new year. Isn't that a wonderful way to start the morning with how great thou art. Well, we're grateful for you and we're grateful that you're here. Uh, grateful to God that he has uh, nudged you this morning to come to church and worship with us. Um, if you are here for the first time, we really would love to welcome you. Um, please visit our guest information table on the patio after the service so we can give you a Bible and um, some other information to help you get connected here. Uh, we'd love nothing more than to come alongside you wherever you are in your walk with the Lord and help you take those next steps. Uh, also, if you would fill out the Connect With Us slip in your bulletin, and um, that's where you would give us your email address and we can get in touch with you and you can indicate your interests and um, we'd love to um, get you involved here. There are many things kicking off our new year. One of them, um, which is my passion in life, is helping people grow in their faith through small groups. We call them life groups here. It doesn't mean you're in the group for life. It just means that you do life together with others who are um, in similar places in their journey. And it's just wonderful what happens when people come together to study God's word and discuss um, what God is doing in their lives. Uh, transformation takes place, and we want that for each one of you. Uh, we have a lot of groups that are starting back up this week and next week. Most of the groups will be doing a Matthew study in conjunction with Pastor Steve's um, sermon series, which he'll talk about today. But um, if you'd like to be in a group, we encourage you to sign up on the patio. But first, I would like to invite my husband up. Now, you don't get to see my husband up front very often, but um, this is my husband, Jim LeBeau. Um, we've been married 26 years. Uh, we have two boys, 22 and 20, at UCSD. Um, and uh, Jim has been in a small group for 12 years. And when I met Jim, I didn't tell you I was going to say this, but when I met Jim, uh, he's, he was raised Catholic, and I was raised by a Presbyterian minister. And um, we had a, uh, a mixed wedding ceremony, which was wonderful. And... Um, when I met Jim, he said that he probably would never be in a small group because his faith was very private to him and he didn't really share um, a lot with people about what God, but he was very close to God. I knew that. And Jim, so I want to ask you, after being 12 years in this men's life group, how has your life <coughs> been different spiritually? Uh, it's probably the greatest, one of the greatest blessings and transformations. In my life, it's very emotional, obviously. Uh, and uh, the reason for that is, uh, to give you a little background, um, so our group for 12 years, uh, uh, an old friend of mine, Johan de Villiers, asked me to join. If you know Johan, he's quite a larger-than-life person. And uh, so I, I uh, joined it with him, and about two or three weeks after, they were typical covenant group. They were reading different books and things. And he said, well, I've just found this uh, creasy Bible study. And Johann studied the Bible, read the Bible many times. And he said, this is a beautiful, beautiful way to look at the Bible. So we all got on board. There were about eight or nine. It was Eric Figge, uh, uh, Dave Crabb, some other people, Rob Hickson, Jeff Johnson in the back, Rich Sharp. Uh, so we went ahead. And the idea of it is, <coughs> is that the, the Bible is a unified work. A lot of people have a hard time with the Old Testament. We were struggling with it. But it's completely unified. It's a tapestry. And Creasy's viewpoint was <coughs> that uh, the Bible is about is determined by geography and history. Well, I was a history major at UCSD, so I, I loved it. 
So we, uh, it takes, the only trouble with it is, which is good for me as I'm kind of slow, is uh, it takes a whole year, 10 years to read the Bible this way. As you go through it, you know, verse by verse by verse, and that's a long time. Uh, but we liked it so much, everyone, we have a group of about 10, 12 core guys and up to 20 who show up at different times. Uh, we decided to do it again. So we've been through the whole Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament. And Creasy is a brilliant uh, facilitator, <coughs> professor of literature, medieval literature at UCS, or UCLA. Uh, so it has transformed my life because the most direct way to learn who Jesus is and uh, the Lord, the, uh, the whole plan of salvation from beginning to end, from the very first word in Genesis to the last word in Revelations, is by studying the Bible. That's, that's it. It's, it's foundational. Uh, so that led to uh, other things. Uh, Rob Hickson, who was also in our group uh, about 10 years ago or 11 years ago, got us involved in Project Mercy in the Baja Challenge. So our group started that uh, effort for Mexican house building. And we built about uh, 12 years. I think Jeff said we talked about about 60 houses. for And the Munsons, different families would come. <coughs> People in our group, others would come, bring their kids or wives. And uh, we would build this home for uh, basically a, a, a very hardworking but a, a Mexican family living out in the in the world <laughs> in nature no, no shelter so you make a profound uh, difference in their lives and but more importantly as I know Jeff you're smiling back there it's probably a more profound difference for us because after we do that and a lot of you participate in that you feel like you're walking 10 feet off the ground the whole following week so it's uh, been a profound transformation in terms of serving so uh, learn about the Lord, more about the Lord, learn to serve, have opportunities to serve, which we still do. We built, uh, my uh, Michelle and my boys and I <coughs> built uh, the last house with Jeff uh, the week before Christmas. What a Christmas present for us. Uh, and the last thing is how I've been transformed. Uh, I'm kind of a, a passionate guy, as some of you know me well, and uh, have a hard time holding it down sometimes. But... Uh, Reading uh, the Bible, particularly for me, I started about four years ago and through Creasy, I learned how to pray the Psalms. So I do that every morning. And it's a tremendous uh, way for me to calm down, get ready for the day. The Psalms are some of the most lyrical, beautiful, most compelling literature and poems that you'll ever read. There were, uh, David start, wrote his a thousand years before Christ was born. And it's before James Joyce and the Romantics. <coughs> I mean, this is really good stuff. So anyway, uh, I gotta, I'm also verbose. Yes, so, and incredible blessing. I encourage everyone here to get involved in the life group. You're welcome to come to ours if you like. Yeah. I might scare you off. <laughs> no, no, Jim. You know, normally I would cut you off, but that was amazing. Thank you, Andy. Thank you. It was a little over our two-minute limit, but it was beautiful, beautiful. So. The key is join a life group, sign ups, uh, there's forms at the table out here. We have a young couples group on Monday nights, a young adult group on Tuesday nights. We've got a new uh, discussion group on the series of Matthew for all people, men and women, on Tuesday mornings. We've got a young professional women's group on Thursday night. There's a new women's moms group on Saturday mornings. There are so many groups going on and we don't want you to miss out. So if you sign up, we'll contact you and we'll place you in the right group, okay? Uh, speaking of Mexico, uh, we have a Mexico trip coming up that's open to all. It's a 
uh, an overnight trip, February 18th and 19th. We will go down to El Refugio, which is near Ensenada, and we will continue work on the school that we have started down there through Lazarian World Homes and Krista Brannan. Uh, we have taken several trips down there. This trip will be to further the school for the migrant children who are down there. This is a great family serving opportunity. They have wonderful lodging. Um, and so it's not roughing it like you would think. It's, it's really great. Everyone comes together around meals, around serving, around building, around playing with the kids down there. Really fun. So sign up for that. Today's the last day. No, no, no. Today's not the last day. You can still sign up. The info's in the bulletin on how to do it. Today is the last day for the family dinner this Friday night. It's called Brain Games. The theme for the month in children's ministry is knowledge. And so come Friday night, bring your families, bring your kids. Um, the info's in the bulletin. Today is the last day to sign up for that. All right, let's stand, greet one another, and we'll continue worshiping the Lord together. Let's get this morning started off singing about our amazing God and His amazing grace.
works or that bridge. Worthy is the king who conquered the grave. And um, scripture tells us to raise our hands in worship, to clap, to rejoice. And when we're at a football game, when something exciting happens, we lift our hands. We get excited. And so why don't we do that in worship? We're singing about the king who came to save us, sets us free. So let's all lift our hands and let's sing this. Worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the Lamb who was saved, yes, God. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. We sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was saved.
are so good and so amazing and we are humbly here this morning lord but with excitement that childlike excitement it's a new year and we want to thank you for that new year and at the same time we want to give it back to you we praise you lord for all you did for us last year and all that you're going to do that we don't even know about it's a new time a new season for our country and a new season for this church right now with everything ahead of us so god we want to surrender ourselves all of it everything that's been building up the hustle and bustle of the holidays we want to shed that and we want to come into a new time of focus we want to rejuvenate our souls we want to give them back to you so lord we invite the holy spirit to fall on this church as we continue to worship you and we just embrace what you have for us in jesus name
Happy New Year. I have a, is the mic on now? Good. Okay. Uh, you look fantastic. You look a little bit bigger than the last time I saw you, but that's a holiday for you. Um, uh, I was so close to wearing a muumuu today. I tell you, it was just a, an awesome time over the holidays, celebrating Jesus' birth with family and friends. Uh, what a treat. We are jumping into a new series, a series in the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, uh, which will set us up for, a, that'll take us through Easter. And the weekend after that, and then starting uh, April 30, we're going to jump into a series that'll take us through the end of the end of June in uh, being a disciple. But we have to get the content right so that we understand what it means to be a disciple. And so the content is in the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, if you've never read it, uh, I hope you enjoy the process of reading it. If you're not in a life group, as Michelle said earlier, uh, as you heard Jim so eloquently say, it's a it's a transformational experience, and all it is is as simple as getting together with some people you don't know. Uh, and assuming that nope, not anybody in the circle knows anything anyway, and saying, what do you think God wants to teach us as we walk through his word together, talk about the implications of it, and really experience firsthand what it means to be a learning and growing and doing community. I'd say 60 houses is pretty much doing. That sounds pretty impressive to me. But whether you build houses or you simply see your life change because God is uh, showing you how to live it for him, it's profoundly important that you have the content of God's word at the center of that community. Otherwise, it's a community of confusion. It's a community of, of opinions with no solutions. It's a community of people talking small talk until there's nothing smaller than the talk. But instead, we want to we raise our sights and see that, see that the word of God has something to, to noble, ennoble us, uh, not through grandiosity, but through a sense that, oh, my God, you love me and call me to live a life that I never imagined possible. That's the beauty of what we're talking about, either in a worship service or in a life group or on a work site when you're doing a habitat build or uh, building an orphanage down in, in Sonata. Because what we see is that the Word of God is transformational. And when people are being transformed, anything and everything is possible. Nothing is the same. Our problems get smaller because our God gets bigger. And so Matthew, uh, the theme of Matthew is the kingdom of heaven. How big can you get, right? Uh, and Jesus its king. The kingdom of heaven and Jesus its king. And our, our tagline in this series is this, everyone follows someone, who are you following? Everyone follows someone, something, uh, some ideal, some person, some ideology. 
Uh, and if you're honest with yourself, uh, you'll be able to figure out what that is. You might say, no, I'm my own person. I don't follow anyone or anything. I'm a free person, and I, I make it up as I go. Well, the fact is, over the course of your lifetime, you've absorbed, you have internalized so many things that shape you and have defined and, 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 and served to describe your identity and your personhood. Uh, that what we're trying to do is to say that if we, if we start following the Lord, the one who made it all possible, the one who's redeeming it all from chaos, all of a sudden, uh, life lights up like never before. So the question is, um, everyone follows someone, who do you follow? And the simple answer is, we follow King Jesus. Not because we're so great, but because he's so great. All of us, in, in, in a remarkable way, if we had the time to tell a story, would tell a story something like this. I really discounted, dismissed uh, the fact that there was a king, and it was Jesus. Uh, and as I come to know him, I stand in awe before him. I'm overwhelmed by the magnificent uh, love and grace that he, he gives me and the way he accepts me and takes me places where I could never go but for him. So that's the theme of Matthew's gospel. That's what we want to tap into. And so we'll be, a pay, we'll be paying attention to Matthew in terms of him telling us what Jesus proclaimed and, and taught and demonstrated. Even as Matthew, in the way that he constructs this gospel, this salvation history, is proclaiming something and, and teaching something and demonstrating something uh, for us to understand about uh, the kingdom of heaven and Jesus' role as king. So let's start with a definition, or at least a description. Uh, the kingdom of heaven, what is it? Uh, Matthew uses this phrase in his gospel. The other gospel writers use the phrase kingdom of God. They're basically synonymous. So kingdom of heaven, kingdom, kingdom of God, uh, saying the same thing. Um, there's all kinds of reasons why there's different phrases. I won't go into them now, but we'll, we'll um, uh, suffice it to say that it's about the kingdom of heaven and the one who rules it. Uh, and who owns everything, including this earth. Uh, so this world belongs to God and is surrounded by the kingdom of heaven. So when we say look up to heaven, we don't mean literally look up to heaven. Uh, we're saying look up from whatever things preoccupy you and see that there's a larger perspective. Uh, and if you're of a scientific bent, you can think of it in terms of parallel universes almost. You, know, you can think of it as larger realities, that heaven is not something you can see. If you go out to outer space, you won't see heaven uh, because it's too big and we're too small. And the galaxies are too small. The, the universes and multiverses are too small to, con to contain heaven. And so heaven is, is uh, dimensional, maybe. But the fact is, it's, it's the place from which God rules all things. And so the kingdom of heaven has broken into the world because God has entered into the world. And so we see in the first four chapters of Matthew that God has entered the world. And the first two chapters we're very familiar with because that's the Christmas story, essentially. Actually, chapter one is a, is a genealogy, uh, which for most people is, is about as fun as walking through a catacomb. You know, dead, dry bones. That's interesting. Can we get out of here? I want to go have lunch, you know. We're in Rome. We should be eating right now, not looking at dead bones. But the genealogy that Matthew describes is compelling. If you, if you don't skip over it, but take the time to read it, it will blow your mind to see what God has done to prepare the world uh, for his entry. And so Matthew does a brilliant job uh, developing that for us. Then we see in the rest of 1 and 2, God speaking to Joseph about the birth of Jesus, the Magi coming to find this king, uh, their escape to Egypt to escape from Herod and his destructive uh, wrath, and then they come back to Nazareth. We pick it up in chapter 3, and that's what we're going to look at today. Chapter 3 and 4, we're going to look at two things, Jesus' baptism and Jesus' battle. 
We see his baptism in chapter 3, his battle in chapter 4. And so the, the big idea of the morning is this, three things. Our king has come to redeem his people. The second thing, our king has come to destroy the enemy of his people. And the final thing is that the kingdom of heaven is here and on the move, and we get to be a part of it. So that's what we're going to talk about in the time we have left. That'll take us about four. We'll take a coffee break, tea break, and then come back for dinner. Um, So here we are, Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, which is the area outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is up high. Uh, It's the highest point in that southern part of of Israel. Um, And then... When you go down from Judea into the area by the Jordan Sea, it's about a 20-minute drive from Jerusalem, and now you're into the area around Jericho, and then you see the Dead Sea going that way and the Jordan River going that way. So the Judean wilderness is where John was out there teaching and preaching about the kingdom to come. And so his message was this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. Don't delay. Don't dawdle. Don't be distracted from the most important thing that's ever happened in your life. The very thing that Israel has looked forward to expectantly is breaking in right now. Now, so many people who were the great teachers and the religious authorities, um, the Pharisees and Sadducees, these two very powerful groups, Pharisees, lay people, but who were, who were really uh, powerful in that they were the ones who controlled the interpretation of the law. The Sadducees, this, this caste, if you will, of, uh, of priests, who controlled the institutional apparatus, all of them coming down to see what John was doing. So John gives this searing sermon to them, uh, taking the law of God, the Torah, and, and, and nailing them with it, saying, you hypocrites, what have you come to see? A guy shrieking in the wilderness? A guy howling in the wind? Or have you come to actually repent? Because now is the time to do that. So it's really confrontational. In the midst of this, uh, and and, and, and uh, chapter 3 describes what John is wearing and, and the crazy outfit that we read and think, oh, first of all, it's a genealogy, now it's this crazy guy uh, out in the desert. That's significant because it's like a picture of Elijah, the prophet of God that, that um, we're told in the Old Testament he, that someone like Elijah is going to show up and announce the coming of the Lord. So here's all happening. All four Gospels talk about John before they talk about Jesus. And so here we see this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, for this, and then Matthew tells us, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, announcing in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So it says, then Jesus came from Galilee, which is in the north of Israel, uh, to the south, and uh, he comes to the Jordan. He comes to John, who is his cousin, to be baptized by him. Now, John is excoriating all these people who he sees as hypocrites and snakes crawling out from under rocks, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And then Jesus shows up. It's like, well, what? what? Why, why are you coming to be baptized? Um, and so he prevents him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And so Jesus answered him saying, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. People were coming in repentance to be baptized. Jesus was coming to receive what is his own, to be recognized for who he is and what he's come to do. So that's what we see then following. So John consents, and when Jesus was baptized, and we don't know how he did that. Did he, did he pour water on him in the middle of the Jordan River? Did he lean him over frontwards, backwards? But somehow he's in the river. We don't know what John said to Jesus about Jesus to baptize him. Um, but we do know that, that he baptizes him, and immediately it says, uh, Jesus went up from the water, and behold, and I love this, this is a Greek word, 
idu. Um, uh, it means, check this out. And it's a great word. It's like an exclamation point. Instead of an exclamation point, it's just a word. And it says, check this out. Look at this. Look at this. Behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, check this out. A voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And in this case, beloved is something like, this is my priceless, one of a kind, category of one, son. He is the delight of my heart. I can't, I'm so excited for you to see him because this is my gift to you. And of course, in the complicated theology of it all, it's God himself coming into the world. And so the heavens are opened up. Uh, the spirit of God descends like a dove. And this voice confirms that this is who Jesus is. So this is the big shock. That God the king has come into his own world. The kingdom of heaven is breaking in right now. What could it mean? What will happen? It, it remains to be seen. That's what the rest of Matthew is about. So that's the, that's the baptism, the announcement. There's so much buried in here that we could go through bit by bit. But for now, I just want to say to you, get the phone app that the life groups are going to be using so you can do a daily devotional that has content questions as well as personal questions that over the course of five days in a week, you will be absorbing this. So when you show up at your life group, you can talk about what grabbed you uh, as you read through the details of this. And as you explore more in depth what the, the symbolism, the, the, the structure of this thing is telling us. For now, though, it's just enough to say this awesome, remarkable thing happens to announce to everybody that God has come to redeem his people. So then we go into chapter 4. It says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Notice that God isn't tempting Jesus, but the Spirit of God leads Jesus, who is now filled with the Spirit from being, being um, you know, anointed by God in that moment of baptism. The, the Spirit leads him into the desert, not to tempt him, but to confront Satan, who will in fact tempt him. God tempts no one, but God will test everyone. What is it uh, to be tested by God? It means God is going to give you many, many opportunities, great and small, to trust him, to agree with him, to take him seriously, to see how righteous he is to see how trustworthy he is, to see how dependable he is, and also to see how unpredictable he is. It's remember, remember, kingdom of heaven, it's his rule that defines the kingdom of heaven. So he's, he's, he's absolutely, consistently dependable, entirely predictable, unpredictable. So, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, a picture of the people in the Old Testament wandering through the wilderness. So literally, literally fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Um, it, it fills us in with the, the conclusion that he was hungry. This is very helpful, I find, because uh, you know, I wouldn't have figured that out. You know, it's a, you know, uh, after 14 or 15 minutes, I need a snack. And the idea of fasting 40 days and nights. So he's put himself through this privation. Um, sometimes it's best to uh, to forego food, not because food is evil or not spiritual, it's a gift from God, but to concentrate on God. That's why when people talk about fasting, they're not trying to prove something about how spiritual they are. They're just trying to get their life cleared of all the clutter and say, I want to focus, and I'm going to not focus on, on, on food right now. I'm going to focus on um, the Lord. So in this place of absolute hunger and fatigue, you know, 40 days, you'd be really uh, at, at, your, uh, at the end of your energy uh, for sure. 
the tempter came and said to him, if, if, if you are the son of God. And this is what Satan, the tempter, always does. It's always a qualifier. If. Command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, it's a reasonable request. If you are the son of God, it follows. You could turn stones into bread. How tough is that? And what's more, you have a legitimate, authentic need. Nobody would, would be offended by you turning stones into bread. The problem with this, of course, is that it's a false premise. It's a false premise. I, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had over the years. Uh, and I'll be talking to a guy typically, and he's saying, I, I have never been more in love in my, in my life. Most amazing woman. Uh, I, it's a gift from God. She's just awesome. I've never been happier. It's fantastic. And I'm listening to him, and, and, and often I haven't known the person very well, and I'll say, wait, let me just get something straight. You're married, right? Uh-huh. Are we talking about your wife? Well, no, no, that's the whole point. Really? That's the point? Yeah, yeah, this is awesome. Uh, so, well, no, you're married, right? So why are we, we're talking about a woman who's not your wife. Yeah, but see, I've had this horrible marriage, and, and I have all these needs, and this is such a great thing. I know it's a gift from God because she's just so perfect for me. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. There's this bait and switch going on. Yes, you have absolutely authentic needs. You deserve intimacy at every level of your life. You deserve somebody to care and love you, and they deserve that from you. But what you're doing is absolutely upside down backwards and will destroy your marriage, and it's already destroying you. It's a false promise that will bear no fruit. It leaves, leads nothing to, but to heartache and heartbreak. Uh, and it's, it's a sad moment for that person to say, well, so you're saying, <laughs> yes, I'm saying, this is not acceptable, this is not a good idea. Uh, how about a willing man, a willing woman working on their marriage willingly, and you would see God give life where there's no life. Teach you skills that obviously you don't possess, that you're projecting on this other person, that you're bonding with them in a real true bond, but it's, a, it's an unstable bond, and it's a bond that God will not bless. So this is what Jesus is facing in Satan. Real needs, authentic hunger, but the wrong basis, right? And so what does Jesus say? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's not denying his hunger or his need for sustenance. He's saying, but the source of my satisfaction, the source of my sustenance, the thing that will feed me, heart, soul, mind, and strength, you cannot provide. But my father, when it says here, um, every word that comes from the mouth of God, that means like streams. It means like a whole smorgasbord. It's, it's a whole buffet. It's, it's everything you need, God is, is able to give you. So then the devil basically said, so you don't want it, right? I mean, you know, next, let's go to the next thing. Uh, the devil takes him to the holy city and sets him on the pinnacle of the temple, the highest place in the most holy city, the top of the temple, and says to him, if, if, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for, and now he quotes scripture. You're, you're a spiritual man, I can see, and you know the word of God. So let me, just quote, let me quote the scripture that you know so well. And he quotes Psalm 91. For it is written, he, God, will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Absolutely right. It's absolutely out of the Bible. It's absolutely out of context. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Yes, that's true. They will bear me up, but I will not test God by saying, hey, check this out. Right? We don't play games with God that way. You know, 
So when somebody says, well, if you walked off that building, if you had faith, could you walk off that building? Yes, I could. And, and, and God would visit me at the hospital, basically, you know, because, uh, you know, I'm not going to test God and do silly things. Recklessness is not the same as taking reasonable risks. When God says, I want you to risk your life, do it. When somebody dares you to be reckless with your life, do not do it. That's the, that's the sense of what's going on here. Finally, again, third time, the devil takes him to a very high mountain and, okay, I couldn't get him through the, the very real needs in his life. I couldn't get him through some spiritualized uh, fake thing. I'm going to take him to the apex. I'm going to give you everything you've ever wanted and that you deserve, I might add. He shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And their glory. Ooh, it's a bright, shiny thing. This is so attractive. And it fits so perfectly in my hand. And he said to him, all these I will give you. If you fall down and worship me. I once knew a guy who bought a car from somebody who didn't own it. (laughs) But he got a really good deal. (laughs) So Jesus says to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So we're not going to get into a lot of detail about, well, tell me about Satan, this this powerful evil force, our enemy. We don't have the time to go into that. And the Bible doesn't give us that much detail, actually. It's enough to know that we have an enemy. It was interesting that the church in Germany during World War II said, you know, we've so outgrown this idea of Satan. Let's just put that to rest and move on with our awesome life. And, and um, the next thing you know, the Nazis had captured uh, their attention, and it was evil personified. So we're not saying there's some magical, mystical thing out there called Satan, um, but it's really a people problem. We're saying there is a real Satan, a real devil, a real enemy of God, not equal to God, not as powerful as God, but the defeated but defiant enemy of God is our enemy as well. But you can't blame the devil for anything. You have to take responsibility. It was, it was the Nazis and the Germans who went to church every Sunday who embraced that that said, we so compromised ourselves with a false promise of glory. We've forsaken God's glory for something lesser. And we dismissed uh, Satan as something we'd we'd outgrown, only to realize we had not grown at all. All we've done is we've grown away from God. Pseudo-sophistication is the replacement of authentic spirituality. I am so smart and you're not. I have so outgrown these fairy tales and apparently you haven't. Well, how do you deal with this? Uh, And and without getting into long response on that, I just want to quote my favorite song written 500 years ago. Uh, This song was written in 1517 by Martin Luther. It goes like this. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper. He amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great. Not good, but great. And armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide? No. Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Do you ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabbath is his name. From age to age the same. And he must win the battle. And though this world with devil's field should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. We'll be wise, vigilant, aware, but we will not fear. 
For God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage, we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. One little word will fell him. Jesus. Hey, you have real needs. I can, I can, I can meet those needs. Yeah, let me talk to Jesus about that. You know, I think you're a little bit confused spiritually because I can do some things that will really help you be spiritual. Wow, that's an interesting thought. Thank you for raising that. I think I'll talk to Jesus about that. You know, you have aspirations for greatness. You deserve greatness. Some people might call it grandiosity, selfishness. No, you're a person of deep insight. I can help you get everything you want. Wow, I've never heard anybody frame it like that before. I kind of like what you're saying. I think I'll talk to Jesus about that. See, this is where it goes. Well, then what happens, of course, uh, he rebukes the devil. It says, the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. See, God will provide everything we need at the time we need it. What I want is not necessarily what I need. Why? Because God's purposes are greater than my, my wants. God is preparing me to, to inhabit his kingdom right now and forever. He's preparing me for the kingdom to come right now because his kingdom is come in Christ. So God withholds no good thing from us. Why? Just like he said of Jesus, these are my beloved in whom I'm so pleased. I'm pleased to bless them in every way. There's nothing greater for a mom or dad than to bless their children. And if you think that's impressive, watch the grandparents. See, that's God toward us. He, de- he deprives us and denies us no good thing. And so as we trust him, um, that's true for us. God alone provides what we need. We trust that God will provide for us as we make our stand for him, as we take our stand in him. So when you live for yourself, what happens? You are limited to yourself. When you, when you live for yourself, your kingdom is very small. It goes about as far as you can extend your hand. And there's so much more beyond your grasp. It's defined by where you stand. And you're so easily pushed off that place. When you live for yourself, you limit yourself. When you live for God, you have unlimited access to the kingdom of heaven. You go through that portal that says the kingdom of heaven, and what happens? You find yourself in this world saying, I I didn't know. It could be this good. I see everything differently because I'm seeing it through the eyes of God, feeling it with the heart of God, processing it with the mind of God. And so it says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So let me summarize what he did before I get to the third point, that that the kingdom of heaven is here. Jesus confronts and rebukes Satan. We can do this. Because the Spirit of God is in us if we have been baptized in the name of Jesus, if we've confessed him as Savior and Lord. Protestant, Catholic, it doesn't matter. If you know Jesus, you know enough. He proclaims, teaches, and demonstrates the kingdom. We can do this. We can proclaim, teach, and demonstrate his kingdom as we walk with him in the power of his Spirit, guided by his word in the company of his people. He calls and equips disciples. We can do this. We can say, hey, you know, it's been great being in a life group with you. I see that you're becoming a serious disciple of Jesus. It's awesome. It looks good on you. Have you ever thought about doing this? He blesses people. The rest of chapter 4 shows us that Jesus is healing and, and doing all these incredible things that only God can do. See, we can bless people. Why? Because we do it in Jesus' name. So that, that brings us to this third final point. The kingdom of heaven is here right now on the move. It's not a postponed thing in the future. It'll be fully realized in the future, but it's real right now whether we realize it or not we are a part of it in Jesus' name 
And so everyone follows someone. Who do you follow? Follow Christ. Follow the king of heaven. And so just as it was for his baptism and the thing that prepared him for the battle, the heavens are opened up to you. The heavens are opened up to you. Look up and see who God is and what he's doing and that you get to be a part of that with him. That's breathtaking. That's not bragging. That's simply recognizing the awesomeness of God, that he wants to include you in that process at every age and stage in your life. Well, I'll do that when I'm older and I have nothing else to do. No, do it right now or you will have nothing else to do. The, the guys that I've talked to, the women I've, I've talked to have said, hey, I'm done, it's over. Uh, they could stand up here and tell you stories about, you know what, I, it, was, it was over, and I had to recognize that the marriage I was in was over, but then I asked God to show me how to be married in a fresh way, and it changed my life. Some serious counsel, some new skills, some new capacities emerging in me, and all of a sudden, I couldn't imagine, I could not imagine being more in love with a person I could not wait to get out of a relationship with. The loneliest people in the world are not two single people. They're two people married in the same bed saying, Dear God, I am the loneliest person on the planet. And they're looking for an exit. But the exit is insufficient. What we want is an entryway. Lord, show me how to live into this relationship now that I know your capacity to change mine. So the heavens open up to us. Look up and see the, seek the Lord in your life. The second thing, uh, the Spirit of God has come to rest on you. And that means he gives you kingdom power. And kingdom power isn't about grandiosity, how awesome I am. Though it can be uh, tempting to go that direction. Now that you belong to Jesus, Satan hasn't given up on you. He can't do anything, but he wants to convince you that, no, 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 that version, I know it's, Jesus is fine, but no, really what you want is this. And we become grandiose. Well, I'm going to do this for God or that for God or forget it. What we want to say is, Lord, what do you want to do in me? Uh, this week I was talking to Scott uh, Schimmel and, and Josh Kirkhoff. We were talking about some of the stuff they're doing and it made me think of a guy who's this incredible entrepreneur and, he, and he's, he's teaching business at Seattle Pacific University now. And I hadn't talked to him in, in, in years and I thought, oh my gosh, you guys got to meet Bruce. So I thought I'll call Bruce. I realized all my contact information is old. I go on the website for SPU to get his contact information. I realized, oh my gosh, Bruce, since I last talked to him, got a PhD at, at St. Andrews University. That's awesome. Oh, there's a dissertation. It's late at night. I can't sleep. I think I'll read it, you know, and nothing will put you to sleep faster than reading a dissertation than one of my sermons. That would be maybe a little bit more effective. But I said, so I read this dissertation. It's brilliant. And also I'm thinking back about when I was a pastor in Newport Beach and a, and, a, and a guy had come to know Christ from being a cultural Christian to a guy alive in Christ. And he was one of those guys that was um, wrong very often, but never in doubt, you know, uh, that's what my friend Rand Mulford describes. And this guy had gone to Harvard Business School. He worked as a McKinsey consultant. He was like the smartest guy in the room always. And now he goes up to Seattle to work on this project when handheld devices were first being developed in the early 90s. And so he meets this guy, Bruce, who, who in the meantime, Bruce, I'm telling you the story for a purpose. Um, believe it or not, <laughs> that Bruce, uh, who's about 60 now, at the time, uh, he had gone to Caltech, uh, he'd gone to Stanford Business School, he had created five patents, he created a company, he lived in his ranch Santa Fe with his wife and two small kids, his wife is diagnosed with cancer. Honey, uh, in the year that you have to live, what do you want to do? She said, I've always wanted to live in Seattle. So he sold his company to Hewlett Packard, packed up the family, moved to Seattle, and well, I don't know what I'm gonna do up here, but I'll do something. And so for him, it's kind of a holding pattern, other people would say, this is the best job they've ever had. He, he becomes a, a, a general director at Microsoft in charge of the handheld program. My friend Blair goes up there. 
working with Microsoft, they're creating this phenomenal product. He comes back and says, hey, God answered your prayer. What prayer? I know you've been praying that God leads me to some Christian people up in Seattle. Yeah, he, I have been. I met this guy, Bruce. He's amazing. He's this great Christian guy. So I get to know Bruce. And so uh, Bruce um, uh, recovers from his wife's death, and he's, he starts taking classes at a seminary. Uh, fuller extension in Seattle. So he calls me one time, a couple years into it, he goes, hey, I get this weird situation. I said, what is it? He goes, well, these people are telling me I should get a, finish up a Master of Divinity and I should be ordained as a pastor. Is that not crazy? I said, why, why do you think it's crazy? He said, because he's a super humble guy. He goes, me, pretentious, presumptuous, oh, I'm a pastor, you know? I said, no, you got it all wrong. It's total humiliation and brain damage. <laughs> it's the most aggravating thing you'll ever do. He goes, really? I could do that. Okay, that changes it. I'll do that. Okay, I'm open to it now. So he becomes a pastor, and now he's got this PhD, and now he's teaching business, and the PhD is exactly speaking to the stuff that you and I deal with every day in this community. That people who are really smart, uh, like Craig Venter or other place, guys at UCSD are saying, it all comes down to, to, to a biochemical reactions. That's all it is. Your moral authority, your spiritual passion, it's just... Uh, a synapse serotonin moment. And Bruce wrote this brilliant, brilliant dissertation about that very thing. So he calls me back and goes, oh my gosh, I was going to call you before Christmas. I've been thinking about you. And I, I thought, really? Because I wanted to call you. I said, you got to come down and speak. He goes, I, I'd love to do that. The beauty of it is this. When Bruce does something, what does he do? He doesn't start by saying, I have this incredible resume. I'm so accomplished. I think I'll just go do great things for God. And wouldn't it be great if I could add minister to my name? Rather, he says, you know, Lord, I think you're calling me to do this. I, I know your spirit is in me. I know heaven is opened up to me. I know you want to do great things in me through your power. Maybe that means I'm supposed to suffer. Maybe that means I'm supposed to sacrifice. See, this is the sweet spot that Jesus' baptism and battle show us. God gets the glory. We get the blessing. If we seek the glory, we'll forego the blessing. So the third point, right? The heavens open up, the spirit of God comes to rest on us with power. You, he says, God says, are my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. And what do we do then? You got that right. Or do we say, yeah, therefore I'll humble myself before you. And so in 2017, my prayer and hope for all of us is this, that we would start asking better questions. Questions like this. Do I really know Jesus? Or do I know just stuff about Jesus? Do I know Jesus? And so Jesus, help me get to know you better. Ask this question, how do I need to grow? I've grown so much in my knowledge of the Bible, but my relationships are in a shambles. Maybe I need to get some counseling this year. Or I got these sins that keep tripping me up and I keep denying that they're really issues for me, but people are telling me these are issues for you. Lord, so I think this might be how I'm supposed to grow. Would you help me grow? How about this question? Um, how can I serve God? Lord, what have you put in my hand? What have you put in front of me that I could do to serve you? Without making a big deal about it, but just being present to you. Uh, Lord, maybe uh, my family and my friends, the fact that my wife and kids won't talk to me, should I start there? Or that I'm doing some things to make my way through the world that really are less than noble and, and show a lack of integrity. Help me deal with that. Um, and then, Lord, how do I care about others? And finally, Lord, to whom will I be accountable? 
This is one of the beautiful things of a life group. It's not accountability like somebody trying to catch you wrong, doing something wrong. I know, I'm watching you. I'm going to catch you doing something wrong. But rather, it's somebody holding you close and, man, I'm with you. I got your back. I care about you. And so accountability always comes with great support. And so when you come back and your life is in shambles, you go, I thought I was doing the right thing. It's a disaster. Your, your accountability partners don't go, I told you so. They say, man, way to go, way to try. And you know what? I'm so glad you've come to that realization. What can we do to help? See, this is what it looks like to have the power of God and heaven opening up. We start to ask these kinds of questions and depend on the Lord. And we experience the glory of his presence, but we reflect it by way of being blessed and blessing others in his name. So, Lord Jesus, that's my prayer for every one of us here, that we would experience you in a fresh way this year. Not just because it's a new year, but because you want to make all things new, one day at a time, all the days of our lives. So, Lord, I pray that whether it's through this Matthew series, whether it's through a life group experience, whether it's through serving with others in your name, whether it's through perhaps reading the Bible for the first time or yet again, pushing ourselves into places where we deal with the things that make us feel most vulnerable and insecure, that you would meet us there through wise counselors, mentors, dear and cherished friends, people that we didn't know or care about previously, but now we consider people that you are using in our lives. I pray that for each one of us in this new year. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. As the ushers prepare to come forward and receive our gifts to the Lord, uh, we encourage you to complete a commitment card for um, 2017. Uh, we're in the middle of our um, campaign to uh, get those commitment cards in so that we can better prepare and plan our budget for this church and join God in the work that he is doing. It really helps us to move forward when we know your intentions for the year, and those cards are in the foyer. Also, if you would like prayer today, we are a church rooted in prayer, and we'd love to be praying for you. You can write out your prayer request in the bulletin. There's a form, and we'll send those out to our prayer chain, or simply walk around to the front of the sanctuary to our prayer garden, and after the service, a member of our prayer team will be there to say a prayer with you individually. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are able to give back to you now out of the abundant blessings you give us. Lord, we want to come to you in humility as we join you in the work that you are doing in and through this church. May you use these gifts, Lord, to draw more people into a deeper relationship with you. Amen. When you walk into the room, everything changes. Darkness starts to tremble at the light that you bring. And when you walk into the room, every heart starts burning. And nothing matters more than just to sit here at your feet and worship you. I'll stand and sing that again when you walk. When you walk into the room, everything changes. Darkness starts to tremble at the light that you bring. When you walk into the room, every heart starts burning. And 
Nothing matters more than just to sit here at your feet and worship you. Oh, this is for you. 
So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can ask or even imagine give you everything you need to walk with him in newness and fullness of life this year and both now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you. 